0: Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2320. Today my guest is part of a family legacy that goes back to 1758 and fine a leather for automobiles throughout the ages. This will be fun. Be prepared to be inspired. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars. Yeah, guess where I am today? Glasgow, Scotland. How cool is that? With a very special guest by the name of James Amirhead. James, welcome to Cars. Yeah, do you have any gear? And are you ready to release the clutch?
1: I am ready. And thank you very much for having me, Mark. This is a great honor. And um, so, yeah, thank you. Great to meet you and looking forward to our conversation.
0: Well, we're going to have some fun because the legacy of your business, your family uh, is quite inspiring for me. And I can't wait to learn a lot more about it. What's one little thing that maybe people don't know about James Muirhead?
1: Wow, good question. Well, I think one thing that many people don't actually know about me is that I'm a very enthusiastic uh, painter. I love to paint in my spare time. So yeah, as much as I'm very much engrossed in the leather industry and and my, and I've got a huge passion for cars. Yeah, in my in my spare time, I do like to paint landscapes, especially where I live. Um, we're we're very fortunate living in Scotland and only a couple hours drive from the Scottish Highlands. So I don't I don't uh, struggle for beautiful landscapes to to paint. But yeah, I'm an avid painter and that's my passion and that's my hobby and not many people know that
0: well that's very cool my father was an architect but he loved to paint and painted his entire life and in our home we always had an easel set up in the corner for my sister and I. And he encouraged us to do artwork and to paint and mm-hmm. be creative as an outlet and i really need to pick that back up again because i've just been you know you get into your career and your life and it kind of fades off but the more i talk to people like you that do that as a way to relax and enjoy and i live in the pacific northwest there's lots to paint here lots of fun yeah. what type of art, if you had to describe your type of painting, what would it be?
1: Uh, so it's very uh, simplistic, I just like to capture the different lights, for me um, I, I love it when, well, I, we, we have many, many different, uh, rainy days here, the weather is always quite stormy so I love capturing the, the dark blues, the purples, the, the really dr- dramatic landscapes and what effect that then has on our, our lochs up here in terms of the reflection from from the stormy skies and how that then influences the many colours that you see across the trees, um, from my, my favourite time of year to paint has to be um autumn awesome when the trees start to t- or you call that fall um, but when, when it starts when it starts to kind of go that sort of lovely brown tans uh, tanned colors the leaves and yeah it's just it's yeah it's very basic i use watercolor so there's not that much detail to it but it's all about capturing the mood of the skies for me that's uh, that's the main thing.
0: Brave man, watercolor. That was always a difficult one for me to cap. You really gotta to, to work on that. I'll tell you, there's a great place in the Carcia website under my references tab where I've interviewed hundreds of automotive artists and you can go and click on their uh, pages and their links and uh, quite a wide variety of artists who do automotive and as we are looking at each other here up in my wall you'll see a painting of a orange porsche turbo that is a car i recently sold i had it for a long time but a listener in russia who is a prolific, beautiful painter? Took a picture off my YouTube page and uh, sent me that, and that's me in my car. And sent me this big, huge painting of myself. I wish he spoke English because I wanted him on the show, but he only speaks Russian, and my Russian is uh, yet. That's about the, about it. But uh, well, fascinating.
1: Can I ask you why you sold that car? It seems madness. Uh, oh my
0: gosh, you're that. another, you're <laughs> another one, huh? Okay, I'm going to say it again. It had become too precious. It had become so valuable. I'd had it for 14 years, and I like to drive my cars. And every time I drove it, I was just getting more and more anxious that it was all original. That made it even more precious, right? One of only three in that color. And so I just wasn't enjoying it. So I decided I need to sell it. And this has happened to me many times with my collector cars. And uh, now I can go find something new that I'll get in drive and not care if it's raining or if I leave it at the parking lot or anything like that. So that's, that's the simplicity version. Here's the great part. Uh, A uh, fellow petrol head who lives about 45 minutes north of me bought the car. He has a large collection of cars. So he said, hey, Mark, it's still your car. Just come and visit anytime. It's just living in a bigger garage
1: wow that was a, that was a good deal then i like that yeah and your and, and your back pocket's a bit, bit bigger as well which is a good a good sight. yeah well <laughs> you know it yeah. <laughs> yeah, It
0: set a record on bring a trailer for a car like that the record still holds and yeah i immediately invested that money and just doing really well and now the problem is i don't want to touch it because it's doing well and so now i'm like uh so anyway you know like that's a big problem but uh, uh we'll see we'll see i'm actually going to go look at a car tomorrow uh that's a possibility so i'll let you know what what ends up in that blank space in my garage right now. Well, let me introduce you here. James Muirhead is head of sales for uh, automotive at Bridge of Weir Leather. He's been working there for over 17 years. James is the great-great-grandson of author Muirhead, who founded their family-owned Scottish leather-making company. Uh, the same family have been involved in Bridge of Weir's leather history, which can trace its leather-making roots all the way back to 17. 17- 58. Oh my goodness. Today it operates as one of Europe's largest leather production facilities and supplies luxurious premium leather to the likes of Aston Martin, Jaguar, Land Rover, McLaren, Polestar, Lucid, Continental, Rolls-Royce and many others. He lives in Scotland, maybe the accent tipped you off there a little bit and uh, is a passionate car enthusiast having owned high performance cars including bmw m2s m3s and jaguar f types james i have an e46 m3 in my garage i've had since new so we can talk a little bit about those but first a word from our sponsors they keep the petrol in the tanks here so sit tight buckle up we're in scotland today beautiful part of the world we'll be right back years ago when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy my carrier's rates went up 9324 and protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. They're talented. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. So, James, we're back. You know, I'd love for you to give us a little bit more history on this family business because, oh, my goodness. I mean, European countries are so old compared to us new babies over here in the U.S. We think something that's, you know, 50 years old is old. And Scotland, the U.K., Europe is so rich in history. But let's if you can go back a little bit and kind of walk through the evolution of this business. And then I want to talk about what you guys are doing today. Fascinating.
1: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, I hope I don't bore you. But yeah, this is my passion. And uh, I love speaking about it. It's all I've known from such a young age. um, And I'm very blessed to be to be born into a, such a such a, a family with such a proud heritage especially within such a unique um industry uh, you don't meet many leather makers but yeah as you as you mentioned we can trace our family roots back to 1758 and yeah my great grand great great grandfather um yeah Arthur Muirhead started the company in 1905 as, as Bridge of Weir um, we actually supp- uh, supplied certain amount of cars between um, 1905 and 1911 but it was 1911 when my great great Grandfather Arthur got in a boat across to Detroit and actually met with Henry Ford. And the Ford Model T was the first. Automotive contract that our family won, so um, it was fan- fantastic. It was when the Ford Model Ts were manufactured over uh, here down in Manchester. So um, yeah, they got talking over a glass of scotch, uh, a cigar, and uh, he asked uh, Henry Ford asked me, my grandfather, great grandfather, what what it was he did, do- what he did for a living. Um, said he supplied or manufactured leather, and they said, well, I'd like your leather within my vehicles, and yeah, from nineteen eleven. Yeah, we, we've supplied many, many companies and we've been involved in some fantastic projects um, from the Concord to, to the House of, of Parliament here in the UK. We supply cars, the current cars like the Citroen DS, the um, DeLorean um, and Aston Martin DB5s um, all the way up to present day. So, yeah, we, we've got a very rich and sound heritage there in terms of to vehicles. But, um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting and a, and a great industry to be involved in. So,
0: James Bond set on your leather. There you go. That's pretty cool. <laughs> the, the henry ford connection is fascinating to me I, I don't think a lot of people realize that henry ford uh, manufactured cars all over the place and we always thought it was just uh you know here in the u.s but oh my gosh but that that's mind-boggling i mean that that is so cool well let's kind of bring it forward a little bit here to you and what you love to do because having a you know a family business that's been around so long you've been in the business 17 years did i get that number right
1: correct yes absolutely so yeah i start i started off at um well, um, when I was 21, I came into the family business, and uh, like any good fathers, my my dad said to me, he "Was that like, you, you're not just getting an office job as, as soon as you walk into the, to this building, you have to, you have to go onto the factory floor, and you have to work every single process. So from the raw hide coming in all the way to a f- finished uh, um, hide and cut part, so you understand, and you you actually live and breathe every stage of that process, so you can understand." On average, from a hide uh, that comes into our facility, there's around about 50 different processes that it has to go through, from hair removal to splitting to tanning to dyeing to finishing to, to embossing to cutting. You name it, you have to know exactly what goes into it. And it, and it is a true... Um, skill it's what it's a definitely a, a very an artisan kind of craft as it were so um for you to be able to get your head around that um is important especially when it comes to talking about your product and um, filling people with confidence that you know your product inside and out so um at the time i probably wasn't the, the, the happiest that i was having to spend three years on the factory factory floor but um it, it put me in good stead and you build relationships and bonds with people on um in the factory that, you, that that you have still got to and remains so strong and i'm so much uh, i 'm such a better person for doing it, so i 'm very thankful for having that experience but yeah it doesn 't come with it. its challenges to leather industry, but first and foremost, I think um, whenever I speak to speak to anyone and they ask what I do and I tell them that I manufacture leather, they, they automatically think the first thing is oh you kill cattle. Um, but a very big or a massive misconception, uh, but, but it's very common, is that, um, that we do not harm any animals for the production of leather. We we take it as a byproduct from the meat industry. So that's probably one of the, the challenges that I'll touch upon later on. It's exciting and it's, it's, it's always changing. And um, no two days are the same, which is which is a blessing, I think.
0: Fascinating. So when you were going through that three year process of learning all the aspects of the business and brilliant move by your father, as you now know, <laughs> what were a couple things that really made you go, whoa? I didn't know this because all of us take leather, I think, for granted. We, you know, I love leather inside of a car, and I've always ordered my vehicles with leather. Um, even when you go into a, a purse store or belt store or somewhere, I mean, it's just there's nothing like it. And there's all these different types of leather. Some are really wonderful. Some feel like plastic. And you're like, what's going on? But w- what are a few things that really surprised you about the entire process?
1: Uh, good question. I mean, the main thing for me was um was a real eye-opener, was the quality of the raw material. Um, And I know that sounds sound silly, but where, where we source our, our hides from, uh, it's all locally. So on average, 60 miles from, from field to from, to tannery. We work very closely uh, with the farmers um, and the, the, the supply chain lower down before it gets to our facility. But the raw material pays um, it has such a big impact and it pays off dividends if you have the best source of raw material. And what do I mean by that is that, obviously, like humans, the healthier our diet, the better the, your diet is what you eat and what you drink, then the better your skin. And the same applies for um, the, the cattle we use, so the the, the, the beef cattle um, from Scotland and the UK and Ireland. Um, and because they have exposure to the finest, greenest grass in the world, they have the softest, purest water to drink, their hide is, is of, of exceptional quality. And because of that, therefore, you've got the best raw material, best starting point for you then to, to, to develop and produce the the most outstanding leather in the world. Yeah, I, I suppose that, that was one. And then I suppose the next was just how many, how much skill goes into it still. It's still. A craft that you need such a, a, a keen eye and attention for detail, whether it comes to selecting the correct grades, but making sure that the hides are dyed to the correct shade, that you've got an exact match for the for the customer's end color. I mean, we get the most exceptional requests sometimes. That we had a McLaren Speedtail customer um, that went to the local supermarket and chose a an aubergine, or you guys call that an eggplant and he wanted that colour within his vehicle, so he set, they sent that up to us and we have to then match that colour exactly for the interior of their of their vehicle and it's that skill and all that is done by eye and by hand and yeah it's it's fantastic to see and for that process to go from as a, as it's just a, a hide a raw hide coming into the door and that transformation all the way through to um a two million pound supercar that somebody's going to enjoy and cherish for the rest of their life i mean it's just something that you you're you're honored to be a part of and it's it's fantastic
0: it's it's brilliant. I've had the luxury of touring many car production facilities. I remember being at the Porsche factory and mm. watching them do the process of bringing the hides out and these days with the technology they can scan it and find any little imperfection and take care of that or move the leather and and they were cutting the leather with water jets. Wow. Okay. I found fascinating, you know, like <laughs> that's how they were cutting all the middle pieces that came out of that. So it's it's really really cool. And you put leather in some amazing vehicles you just mentioned one so all different types of vehicles i mean you think of a standard vehicle that everybody buys like you and i love bmws the m3s mm-hmm. um, but the leather in my car is really really nice it holds up really well all the way up to the super high end luxury cars when it comes to the standards or better leather than others how on earth do you Judge that i mean is it all touch feel thickness what what goes into that
1: that's a very good question so when the hides come into us obviously they have the hair still on them uh, because they've just come straight off of the bull so therefore we have no idea what level of natural characteristics are on a hide so we actually have to process the height in terms of removing that hair we then need to tan it tanning is the long-term preservation of of the material and once you've you've, you've gone through those processes you then have the ability to inspect the height as it were so So you're looking for growth lines, insect bites, scars, uh, stretch marks, uh, you name it, and based on the grade of the hide, so a hide with very little um, natural characteristics as as we call them, we go into a very high grade leather. So then, a hide with an abundance of natural characteristics would be used for a more economy-driven leather. And um, so, once you're separating it, separating it out uh, the hides out into the different what we call grades or selections, um, that will then determine what kind of leather it will then be transformed into. So you have different um, levels. So you'll have things like semi-aniline, which are very natural leathers that um, that, that um, promote and enhance the. The, the, the leather's sort of natural characteristics as it were and then the, the hides with more characteristics on them the, with heavier scarring and, and heavier insect bites and heavier wrinkles you can then apply almost like a texture like a grained effect to it to help and try and mask some of those characteristics so you can produce a more economy driven leather the challenge you have with the higher grade stuff is that um, with, with about with every two let's say you have a, a hundred cattle in a field uh, you'll be lucky if maybe five percent of those um, have a very low number of natural characteristics. It's very difficult to control, obviously, how the cattle fight with each other or scratch themselves against a tree um, or a fence post. So um, it's they're they're very hard to come by. There's few and far between. One of my favourite projects to, to work on was the Aston Martin One Seven Seven supercar that they manufactured. And Aston Martin said to us that they only wanted golden hides, as it were. And golden hides were like what 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 is this term? Do you mean we we, we want hides with Absolutely no natural characteristics on it. We don't want any scars. We don't want any knit wrinkles. They just have to be perfect. So we were, so we had, we spent ages and ages because as you can imagine, how many hides you have to go through to try and find those golden hides. So it took a long, long time to 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 even um, to even build up to one car because one Aston Martin alone takes between six and eight hides per vehicle because it wow. has so much leather from the seats to the headliners to that to the IPs to to the um yeah, to the A pillars, to the B pillars, to the C pillars, it's everywhere, which is fantastic and that's why Aston Martin interiors are, are so beautiful in my opinion. But yeah, they were they were difficult to come by and it was a it was a great challenge to work on that project. But um, yeah, and I hope that's given you some sort of uh, insight into the different grades of leather, but it's quite difficult to explain rather rather, I'd, I'd like to have you over in the factory and I could put some hides on the table and actually show you physically the difference between the grades and, and you're right, there is different touches to them. Um, the higher grade leathers tend to be a little bit more silky and soft and then the, the more economy driven leathers are tend to be firmer um, and a wee bit more uniform and a bit more consistent. So it just depends, different horses for courses. (laughs) Yeah,
0: golden hides. I love it. And you mentioned uh, the aubergine color that went into that vehicle. How do you dye the hides? Is there some special, is it soaked in color or sprayed on or how's this done?
1: Yeah, so there's two stages to the process. So the first stage is that we dye the hides, so you're correct, and we try and dye the hides as close to the end customer colour as possible. But when we're doing that initial match, when we get sent to aubergine, we will then uh, do a hand spray, a pigment spray, just on the A surface or the grain layer of the hide, that, that top surface, just to get that exact match. If the customer's happy, they sign off that colour, that's when we need to try and dye the, the hides as close to that aubergine or end customer colour as possible. We use water-based dye and you're correct, it's like a big drum, a tumble drum and it takes up to about 200 hides at a time and it's a long process, about 22 hours and you put the hides in, they soak in a bath you add, you add the dye stuff and it just takes a long, long time just for the, the dye stuff to penetrate the hide all the way through but it is very important that you, um, you start with that, that, that original base dye colour and then when it gets through to the finishing plant we apply a pigment match to the A surface of the leather and that's what gets it exact Talking of uh, other stories of, of matching things, it was actually Rob Dickinson from Singer Vehicle Design came over with uh a, a, to, to visit us and he came off the plane with a yellow handbag and he said uh, and he, well he gave it to his designer to carry for him i didn't think he was too happy carrying it <laughs> and he gave it he, he gave it to us and he said i would like you to match this yellow because i've got a very special project coming up so we're okay no problem at all and we matched this yellow for him and it, it ended up being the yellow in the the first uh, production singer dls And so if you if you've seen the white singer with the yellow interior, yeah, that is that that was Rob coming over on a plane uh, with a handbag. We matched it. And then that was the that's (laughs) the end result right there. Yeah. So I'll have to (laughs) next
0: time I see Rob. He's been on the show a few times. I'll say, hey, where's your yellow handbag, dude? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) See what he see what he says. Now, my last question when it comes to leather before we get into your world is. Caring for leather. I've heard all sorts of different things about different ways to care for leather. Uh, You put an application of some kind of leather care on when the car is warm because the height expands, contracts. Your opinion on what's the best thing people can do with their leather interiors?
1: Good question. And I think um, these companies that sell these leather care kits are going to hate me after I tell you this, but um, modern-day leather, the leather that we manufacture, is extremely durable, um, and the finishing systems and everything that we put on them um, means, means that they're designed and they're built to last. For us, the only way that you should maintain or look after leather is that you use a, a a microfiber cloth? You use a tiny little bit of water, maybe ten parts water to one part, um, maybe just household detergent, like um, household soap that you would use for the dishes, and you use that on on the leather and, and soft circular motions. The days of things like having to feed leather—the uh, only reason why you had to do that back in the back in the olden days was due to the fact that the the leathers were vegetable tanned and therefore used to dry out. Nowadays, that the the leathers have a moisture content between twelve and fifteen percent, and they, that will tend to last for the full lifetime of of that leather and without you having to put any additional care or treatment onto it because we take care of that on, on our side so modern day leathers, I would say you don't need to put much care and attention to it. just if you do spill something on it, just make sure that you clean it off relatively quickly, otherwise otherwise it will stain.
0: Yeah. And uh, leave the crayons and marker pens at home when the kids are in the back seat. (laughs) Most most definitely. You know, I would assume in your life uh, you've had what I call a driving inspiration, mentor, someone very influential to you. Is there somebody like that?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and this is going to probably sound quite corny or cheesy, but um, it's actually my father. I would say is probably my, my biggest inspiration in life. I mean, he did so much for the leather industry. He did so much for 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 me, my family. Um, he was he was awarded the uh, an OBE, which is an Officer of the Order of the British Empire. It's almost it's he has to go and, and meet the Queen, and it's almost through the same process as being knighted, but it's not as as prestigious as getting a knighthood, but um, it's it's not far off it. So um, he's he's always been a a, a great uh, role model for me, just in terms of his his work ethic, his passion, his enthusiasm for for making sure that that we we learn as much as we did within the business, and he taught us everything that uh, that I know today. And um, yeah, he's been a huge role model not only for me but my older brother as well. So and that would be my choice yeah
0: i would imagine too with a legacy and a family legacy that goes far back there's a bit of a a challenge with that and the pressures of continuing that making it successful and and growing and expanding into the world that is ever changing with technology and and so forth and it's a great little uh segue into my next question the challenge question and you touched on one challenge is the perception of leather well you're a cow killer if you will however i like the way you put that you're you're using all the products of the animal and and using it for, for great good. And also, uh, I would assume there's some recyclability. Is, is there any of that with leather?
1: I don't know if you're aware, but when a hide arrives at our facility, a rawhide, um, it comes in and it weighs about 45 kilos, um, and a finished hide weighs four kilos. So 90% of that historically was waste, and that used to go to landfill. And obviously, we want to move away from any landfill contribution because it's just not sustainable. So what we decided back in 2003 was to open up our thermal energy plant and what that allowed us to do was recover the solid waste from the process so all the unwanted hair unwanted proteins from the hide, and we, we we convert that into a steam through a process called pyrolysis and gasification and so that steam we then in turn uh, we then use to heat the water from our very own loch at the back of the factory, um, we also use that same steam to, to to dry the leather later on in the process. The fat that we remove from the bee surfaces of the rawhide as it comes in, we can render down into a biodiesel and it can actually uh, run electric um, electronic generators on site as well, so we can actually create our own gas and electricity from the byproducts from the other manufacturing process, which is really, really crucial also because we then cut inside. So when we have a finished height, that's approximately about four and a half square meters, we then have the patterns for the seats and then we cut So usually you normally only get about a 60% utilisation from a hide. Again, 40% would then you would think would go to scrap. However, we can break this down and again, put it back into our thermal energy plant. We also have the facility on site for all the water we use. So approximately we use 1.6 million litres of water a day. So that's a hell of a lot of water. But we do live in Scotland and it does rain every second of every minute and every hour over here. So (laughs) we have no shortage. So it's really important for us as well to to recycle that water, so it's um, so um, it can be discharge back down into the system. So we have our ultra-filtration plant that allows us to recycle 40% of our processed water as well and um, once we've installed our solar panel um, farm um, next year we will be a net zero manufacturing company with zero impact and that's not through offsetting either. So that is leather for you and you could have a, a carbon neutral leather supplier into these great OEMs and they've all got really ambitious targets to, to achieve and and people do ask us well, have you ever thought of using a or manufacturing a leather alternative but in order for you to get a man made as leather you need to mix it with a, quite a high rate of polyurethane and um, no less than 70 percent so for us it doesn't sit well with us in terms of whether it's great in terms of a sustainable product it's a recycled product because you're taking it from the 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 meat industry and also whether at the end of its its life is biodegradable it will disappear however all these alternatives that are 70 percent plus plastic they will not break down uh, in the future so um it's not a good option for us and therefore just because something may be um Um, A vegan interior doesn't necessarily make it sustainable and that's the the message that we have to try and get across and that's the challenge because a lot of people just think, as I I mentioned to you previously, as soon as they hear what I do, they go, you make leather, that means you must kill cattle and that's just sadly um, not the case.
0: It's fascinating. I'm so glad you shared all that because I think a lot of people don't know all this. And the fact that you'll be net zero because of recycling and reusing is brilliant. So bravo to you and your company and in the industry of what you guys are doing. Special vehicles. I like uh, to ask people to share one special vehicle in their life. Has there been a car like that for you?
1: Yes, and I have to say it was my F-Type, my Jaguar F-Type. I didn't have the 5-litre supercharged, unfortunately. I only had the 3-litre um, supercharged, but it was uh, fantastic. What a noise, I think, when the the, 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 the Jaguar and, and Land Rover team, when they developed the those exhaust notes, especially on the SVRs, are absolutely fantastic. They sound uh, otherworldly, but for me, that car was was amazing. I do love a rear-wheel drive car as well. I, some people say that's a bit of a silly choice, loving in such a wet country. But it always puts you on the edge of your seat when you're approaching a, a corner or a roundabout and you can feel that back end starting to twitch. I think for me, that's what, what driving is all about. And uh, yeah, um, that, was, that would be my my car that I miss the most, if I, if I were honest, honest with you. Closely followed by the M3 as well. I had, the, had two M3s. I had the... Um, the F ninety, um and then I, the one before that, um I can't remember what it was called, but it was the it was the um the V eight um what well, I had a, the the manual V eight M three and that was uh, my that was, again, just the noise off. It was fantastic. It wasn't any of the sort of fake noises coming from the exhaust. You could hear that rumble right up, right, right up in front of the steering wheel. And, yeah, it was probably the closest I'll ever get to owning a, a sort of American muscle car, as it were. Nothing, <laughs> it like, a, nothing yeah. like a V8. Yeah,
0: that, that's the, the <laughs> era that came after the E46 that I have with the, uh, the inline six. So awesome. So I'm going to be a car psychologist a little bit here for you. I'm going to crawl into your head. If you were reincarnated as a vehicle, what would you be and why?
1: Great question. And I think I would be a, a Land Rover defender. And the reason being is that not very pretty on the eye. Some people love them, <laughs> some people hate them. <laughs> but great outdoors. I do love the outdoors. There's nothing that pleases me more than going out into the, the Scottish mountains and up in the Scottish hills. Um, so yeah, great, great in the countryside. And yeah, practical as well um, so yeah that's me that's how i would sum myself up <laughs>
0: uh, very well done i'm not surprised uh, given the part of the world you live in as well uh it paints a beautiful picture in the beautiful part of the country you live in it's one of those rolling through the hills so uh, uh brilliant i love it how about great reading we love books here is there a great book you could share
1: the book that I read last that I absolutely loved. There's a journal- journalist that I really, really like. It's called Louis Theroux. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but um, it was his autobiography. It's called You've Got to Get Th- uh, Theroux This. And uh, yeah, it was. He's a he's a very quirky journalist. Um, quite kind of geeky and kind of awkward when in his interviewing style. Um, and it's all about his rise to fame through the BBC. And he ended up. Um, Probably uh, responsible for some of the most iconic uh, journalism that's been uh, broadcast on TV, and I, I just find them fascinating. He's is an is an excellent person. Yeah, and I and I think yeah, if anyone would get the chance to read that book, I would definitely recommend that
0: a new book recommended here i love it i love it that's hard to do after all the guests i've had on the show and there's a great place on my website called guest recommended books with over three thousand books listed there so you brought a new one so let's go on the ultimate drive i'm an enabler here i'm going to provide you with any okay. car in the world you can take it anywhere in the world and you can take anybody with you including somebody from the past who's no longer with us that opens up some unique opportunities so what does this ultimate drive look like for a guy like you
1: Right. Okay. So my favourite car um, in the world has to be a nineteen seventies Lancia uh, Stratos. that is my favourite car. I love it. I just think the way it looks, it's like the, the 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 wheel arches, everything. It's just so aggressive. I don't know whether or not it fit in it, mind you, but um, that,
0: <laughs> yeah, they're pretty that tiny would be it. cars, aren't they? Yeah.
1: <laughs> But yeah, I love I love them, and I just think they look so iconic and, and so beautifully designed. And my the person that I would love to go with is the very famous um, comedian Billy Connolly. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. I've or heard of the that. name,
0: yes, uh huh. Yeah,
1: yeah, but um, he's hilarious, and he's a, a big hero of mine um, in terms of just what he's done from um, work, working in the in the, the Glasgow shipyards and Clyde bank and then waking his way up to international stardom. And, um, yeah, he'd be fascinating. He'd be hilarious and, uh, and no doubt great company.
0: Yeah, that would be pretty cool. <laughs> Have you seen the, uh, the prototype, the, Alancia Lancia Stratos HF zero.
1: Yes, I have. And my and yes, it's that's on the bucket list. Of that and a Singer Porsche would be would be my two car garage. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I tell Rob. I said, you know, uh, every time I waste two dollars on a lottery ticket, I put one word on the back of it: Singer. Uh and uh he goes well mark when when you win that lottery you're still gonna have to wait three or four years like everybody else (laughs) i'll tell you the guy that bought my my orange crush my 87 turbo um he just took delivery of his singer and so he's got one yeah i know some people just have it all you know it's just uh, but i've got to go up and have him take me a ride maybe he'll toss me the keys uh hey tom what do you think maybe we'll yeah, see fingers that, crossed. that yeah. would be kind of cool yeah i love those cars and to have a bespoke car made the way you want i mean that's the the best of all worlds you have taken us on a wonderful drive today james i'm so happy that we connected i want to do a shout out uh, thank you to our mutual friend james Billington at influence associates those guys there have brought me so many fascinating guests so thank you james for another all-star that you brought to uh, the Carsia yeah, alumni team here It was very cool before i let you go could you share maybe some words of inspiration or wisdom with us
1: yeah absolutely i think what's got me through my life and something my father has always sort of drilled into this from a young age is um always work hard i think nothing in life comes easy don't be afraid of change make sure you embrace it and make sure you have a plan stick to that plan and be patient
0: Yeah, well, well, well advised words. My father, I remember when I was young telling me, you know what, Mark, you may not be the smartest guy in the room. And I always wonder why he said that. But but he said, you can always outwork the other guy. And so, uh, yeah, there's something to that. But uh, thanks, Dad, for those words of encouragement. How can people learn more about your company?
1: So we're all over um, every social media platform so um, even just type into Google Bridge of Weir leather um, come and follow us follow us on Twitter follow us on um, Instagram follow us on LinkedIn um please yeah just just put it, put it into put it into Google and find out some of the fantastic things we're doing we're we're highly innovative we're we're a very historic company but we're definitely not dictated by our heritage we're we're very forward thinking we're very progressive and yeah we're we are producing the world's most sustainable material um for for our interiors, and um it's a fantastic journey to be on, but this is just the start of this amazing journey and not only will we be carbon neutral or manufacturing at zero next year, we're looking now to be carbon positive and actually giving back into the local housing and creating more energy than we can consume and so we're actually making a positive impact on the planet as well and please. Keep on keep on eating those uh, steaks so we can have some rawhides. Yes. Uh, t- <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, it's brilliant what you guys are doing. My hat's off to you. I think it's wonderful. I can't wait to. I've got to make a trip over to Scotland. I've only been to the London area, but I've got to get up to Scotland. You know, I live where it rains a lot, so rain doesn't scare me at all. But I'd love to come and see your facility someday. My son took a trip to Scotland years ago. He goes, Dad, you got to go. It's magical. So uh, i got to get myself over there. Yeah, check it out. Uh, Bridge of Wear, W-E-I-R, Leather. uh, God, you'll be blown away by what these guys have done. Absolutely brilliant. James, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and sharing the history of this iconic brand with us today. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you, hopefully sitting on some fine leather down the road.
1: Cheers. Thank you.
0: Thank you. This was wonderful. 20, 50, or 100 years from now, will there be a workforce to care for the collector vehicles we love? With auto shop programs disappearing across the country, it's a question we enthusiasts have to ask. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these vehicles aren't lost to time. One of the many ways RPM, which is short for Restoration, Preservation, and Mentorship, is accomplishing this goal is through Workforce Development Initiatives, For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of the collector vehicle skills trade, visit RPM Foundation today. They're one of the charities of choice here on Cars Yeah! Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up!